you've got to find leverage. You've got to find a reason why. And if that doesn't come, I don't think it's, it is possible for people to sustain something. Hi, I'm Maria, otherwise known as the Fit Foodie. I'm a chef, holistic nutritionist, author, inventor, and mom. And I want to welcome you to my podcast. It's called Recipes for Your Best Life. And with every episode, I'm peeling back the onion on fitness, nutrition, health, wellness, and family. The truth is you're the chef of your life. And for every important pillar, there's a great recipe worth sharing. So every week we'll explore them together. Think of it as food for thought that you can really sink your teeth into. So join me and let's squeeze the joy out of this life because you only get one. Can I get a fork, yeah? You may be on the path to success. You know, you've got everything dialed in, your dreams, your plans for your future, your career. But look, if you don't have your food, fitness, and mental well-being in order, you can't crush your goals, no matter how hard you try. I interviewed Nick Bradley. He's a world-renowned business growth and scale-up specialist. He helps exceptional business leaders to unlock their full potential. He's also the co-founder of The Fielding Group. That's a growth accelerator that helps companies improve their business performance. And that's all about creating freedom, building wealth, and living your life without limits. The cool thing about Nick is as an Aussie, he's a dedicated family man and has a strong background in physical fitness. He's completed over 67 events, including marathons, ultra marathons, and he's a qualified personal trainer and performance coach. And he shared with me that being committed to personal growth in your work and in yourself means having a sound foundation and understanding of health and well-being. And I wanted him to share that with us. And that's what this interview is all about. I hope you'll listen. Nick shares a lot of great points and feedback. And hey, if you think this is something that other people in your life would appreciate, invite them to listen along. Let's dive in. Nick, it's so great to have you on. Hey, Maria, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> nice to talk to somebody across the pond, so to speak. Um, and, and we had a little discussion about what's going on in the world right now. So even though we are in this state of flux, it's nice to have this connection, this bond globally, I guess. Um, but can you share a little bit about where you started in your path to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you've got the kind of accent from across the pond because I live in the UK, <laughs> but then you've got this kind of weird sort of everyone's probably listening going, what's that weird sort of sound he's making? Well, that, that's called <laughs> being Australian. Um, so I grew up in Australia and then I moved to the UK and I've lived in the US as well. So I've had many experiences, but yeah. So to give you the backstory, um, I've, I've had a really interesting sort of um, journey, I suppose, to what I do now. I mean, what I do now is I work with businesses that are not performing, not growing as quickly as the entrepreneur or the founder would like and I help scale those businesses to create value for them and value for shareholders and investors. So I've worked in sort of private equity, quite high stress environments for more years than I'd like to count. <laughs> but um, where I come from is, I, as I said, I grew up in a little place called Adelaide, South Australia. And I suppose my journey to, to sort of having 
health and fitness is a key part of my identity and certainly what I would call the strength and power to do the things that I have done and do now comes from being um, really, really overweight as a child. Mm. So when I was um, eight, nine years old, and I'll, I'll say this in kilograms because I'm not really good with all the other kind of systems. I can help translate. <laughs> good. I was, okay. I was 110 kilograms. Okay. So that's uh, which about is, 230 or so. Yeah. Two, as, as an eight-year-old. As an eight-year-old. And now I weigh 72 kilograms as a 45-year-old. As a mm. So that's what, 40 kilos difference. Lighter. So not quite 100 pounds, but quite a bit. Yeah. And, and it was a pretty tough time. You know, I was bullied a lot at school. Um, it kind of came from, I suppose, just having kind of a lot of things going on in my time, my parents divorced and whatever else. But, but I had to transform myself in my, in my sort of eight, nine, 10 years of age time because things just weren't working for me. And, and what I did is I committed to health and fitness and exercise. And, and I got very, very intentional about um, those things. So actually really taking a real sense of, of, of this, this needs to change because I'm not getting the results in my life that I needed. And so from the age of around 10 to 15, I went from being hugely overweight to being an athlete, mm. um, competing in things like rowing and basketball for my state and my school. Um, and from that, it, it was such a transformational period for me. I thought, you know, I need to contribute back into this, this world of health and fitness so I started training to become a personal trainer. And I did that while I was finishing school and going into, into university. Um, I ended up starting my first business as an 18-year-old, which was a personal training studio. Mm. And we're, we're talking about that in, in let's, let's get the time frame right. So we're talking sort of late 80s, early 90s, when personal training wasn't a thing. And it was like in Australia, most definitely, it was like, what is this weird thing that's happening? And, uh, Which and that could took, be a good or bad thing, right? I mean, you're, well, you're you know, what's really funny, <laughs> what's really funny about it is I, ha I had a really successful gym. I, I had, I was doing about 30 to 35 hours of personal training one-to-one. -one. I had group sessions going on. I employed three other people doing personal training and what I was teaching, and it wasn't really from what my qualifications was, it was kind of what I worked out in my own head. Cause it's what I had to do to transform was what we would now call functional fitness. Hmm you know, that type of thing. And well and truly before that or CrossFit or anything was branded, I was just doing that type of stuff. And, and yeah, so I, that was my first real job um, before I got into everything I do now. So it's been just such a fundamental part of me for so long. Yeah, really. Um, and what a, what a hard thing for an eight-year-old. I can imagine you, Nick, and looking at you now, it's hard to imagine, you know, somebody so fit and in shape having gone through that, do you think that because you went through it at a young age and you had kind of a traumatic um, experience that maybe encouraged a behavior that was just, you were just trying to find your way, um, do you, can you identify that in people? I mean, I think we walk around as adults a lot wounded, you know, people who have gone through things that never quite got healed. Do you feel like that is what makes you relate to people in a different way than maybe others? Yeah, it does. It does two things that I, that I kind of connect with. So one, the first thing is I wouldn't have done what I have done since. Um, and we can go through some of that obviously today, had I have not gone through that transformational experience as a young kid, both the pain of it, in terms of it was hard. I mean, I used to lock myself in the toilets at my school um, during recess and lunch times because for bullying, literally mm. every lunchtime. And I had to get out of that. So I, I, no, one, no one around me was going to do anything. 
right? So it, had, it was all on me. There was no one else going to lift me up. I had to find a way. And there's a certain amount of resilience and grit and strength that comes from that. So to your question, I notice it more in other people now. I'm very attuned to it. But I also have a really strong sense of trying to help. And, and because I've had that experience, I kind of know the thinking and the process that needs to happen for someone to be able to face firstly where they are if they're not comfortable with it and then what to do about it. And whether it's a gift or whether it's something else, it's something that I've taken into both my personal life and also my career since. I think it's a gift. I mean, I think empathy is a gift in a, in a big way. And I would say that, um, you know, you mentioned kind of nobody else really being able to do that for you. You had to do it on your own. Why did you feel that way? Why did you feel like you couldn't, you know, maybe turn to somebody to help you? And how did you even identify how to do it? I mean, it seems like it would be a monumental task for someone who can, you know, forgive me, but barely tie their shoes, you know, to start no, thinking no, like I can pull myself out of this ditch. <laughs> well, okay. I think this is something that a lot of people don't kind of connect with sometimes is that, you know, you can find the best gifts from pain, right? You've got to go to, to a really sort of low point before you kind of get to that level of frustration where you say enough is enough. And I had, so my mum at the time had gone through sort of two or three marriages by that point. And so I had always had this instability around any male influence. So I wasn't going to put any additional pressure on her. Uh, my grandfather was, a, was probably the one person in my life at that point in time who was always there and present and, and actually a very strong figure. Mm. So when I say I didn't have any support, I didn't, I didn't know what to do and no one gave me the guidance to do it. I just sort of self-educated. And so I, I kind of, you know, back then I started reading magazines. I started, you know, watching stuff and just started to become aware of I could change. And this is funny, right? The, the first connection I had was the, the old muscle magazines. Mm. You know, you see Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, yeah. and, sure. and, you know, muscle and fitness. And, I was just about to say muscle and fitness. I yeah. see the cover. You know, Joe Wader or Weeder, whatever his name was. And, you know, I was, that was it. I'm thinking, well, hold on. Well, how do you do that? Mm. This is amazing. And I was playing with these like He-Man figures at the time and they were all these kind of muscly athletic things. So my inspiration came from those sources. And then I just started to read and started to do things. And yeah, it, it didn't, I think the other thing happened is I went through puberty at the same time. So I think there was a bit of a change going on through that, which assisted, mm -hmm. but I was still very much, what I was doing was changing my patterns and I was certainly changing my psychology all through that period. And so you self-educated, was there anybody um, that you did model against, you know, not just people in magazines or the, the superheroes, but was there somebody that you identified with maybe in your community that you were like, yeah, I want to learn from them. I want to see how they're doing things because I can see the transformation or was it truly just researching? It happens that it happens a little bit later, that part. So I'd kind of transformed myself to a certain level um, by myself. And then I started to become quite obsessed with the whole health and fitness game because I'd, I'd had so much value from it, my, from what I had gone through. Mm -hmm. And then I met a guy called Duncan Blakey, who was the guy who actually started the first personal training um, studio business in Adelaide and probably up there in Australia, actually, there would have been stuff happening in other States and other cities. And I didn't have much money. I was working part-time in a service station, but I paid him to train me. And I didn't, and he was really cool because he was like, well, you know, I'd normally charge a lot more money, but I'm going to help you. So for this amount of money, I'll train you three times a week. Mm. And I got in really, really good shape by the time I was sort of 18, 19. 
not not you know Arnold Schwarzenegger shape, but that wasn't the goal. But in yeah. terms of where I was, you know, I was really fit and and really functional. Everything just kind of worked really well, and and I got a lot of. Um, I felt really proud of myself at that point, which gave me a lot of energy for the other things that happened afterwards. Where do you find that? strength because I think, you know, right now we are living in such a strange time and I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I've always health, wellness, taking care of my mind, my soul, my body has always been my focus, but even the best of us, you know, with the best intentions kind of fall sometimes. And I, I just feel like now more than ever, it's been really tough is do you have a circle of people or someone that you still look to as Duncan still in your life? Or is there someone else that you look to that helps to kind of keep you motivated and, and keep, you know, maybe your priorities uh, focused because I know it, it's pretty hard to do or pretty easy to derail right now. Yeah. It's really, for me, no, there isn't. And, and I think it's, it's because I had such a painful experience when I was younger that I don't need any more motivation. Um, it's the, what do they say? There's a famous kind of saying that, you know, show you the person, show you the boy. I think it is at seven. I show you the man. And it's such a formative part. So I, whether it's fear or whether it's just different standards that I have for myself now or a combination of both, I will not allow myself to even go to that place that you're describing. So for me, I run every day. I do gym every day. I do yoga every day. Um, I mix it up, obviously. I was going to ask, what is your routine? So at 45, like what keeps Nick healthy and in tune so that you can go and mentor and coach the world? Yeah. Okay. So I'll take you through it. I I have a a mix of of things that I both feel are necessary for certainly my age as well. So I I do have some context that certain things don't work like they did 20 years ago. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's not bad. I mean, and, and I suppose what, what I should share with your listeners as well is I, I did a whole heap of marathon and ultra marathon running. So I've done 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons, hundred mile races. And an, uh, I was going to say an ultra marathon is a hundred miles or well, te- more, technic- right? technically, well, technically it's defined as anything over a marathon. So a marathon's okay. 26 miles. So technically if you do 27 miles, you've done a, an ultra marathon, but in, in the kind of world of that community, and it really is a really great community, it's sort of 50 kilometer races, 50 mile races, hundred kilometer and hundred mile. It's in that sort of vicinity. Um, hundred Ks would take me around about 10, 11 hours of running. A uh, hundred miles can take 24 hours. I mean, the fast guys do it much quicker than me, but you know, even so it's, I, it's got- I just, the idea of it just hurts my knees. <laughs> Well, I've had, yeah, I mean, to, to your question, my routine now is more balanced. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the reason I run and the reason that I, I did so much running was because my, my grandfather was the first Australian to run a marathon up ha- after having open heart surgery. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is back in 19, 1984. And I remember going to the event that he ran and, and everyone thought he would die. I mean, all the doctors were saying there's no way that anyone after having that level of trauma to their, to their chest and to their heart because he had a, what they call a double bypass. Oh, wow. um, a, you're not going to live this. I mean, you know, it, you just kind of sewed up, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. going to 
four hours of running is not going to be good. But he ended up doing it literally in just over four hours. And I was there, I was a 10 year old and I was like, my God, what is this? Just over and so, four hours. That's fast too. 403. In fact, there's a, there's a picture on my wall up there with, with, with his certificate that he got. And that inspired me massively. And as I said to you beforehand, he was probably one of the, the more stable influences in my, in my childhood. And so when he passed away, um, and I'd already run one marathon um, before that, to sort of connect with him and to connect with some of those really interesting lessons I learned growing up, I, I got right into running for a good sort of 15 years. So I still do that today. Um, I still run um, competitively for my age group and whatever else. I do yoga every morning, some form of yoga, nothing too crazy, but just to kind of get some strength, um, some stretching and some um, some fluency. Flexibility, yeah. Yeah, and it's still not great. I have to be honest, even when I go for a run, my hamstrings need a lot of work. <laughs> I've got this well, because thing. of your running, you really need the yoga, yeah. Yeah, and I've got a Theragun, which I kind of, you know, if you've ever heard of those, those things, I use that. So I do that. Um, but there's, I mean, I'm also a little bit more holistic these days. So I, I meditate every single day. Um, I have different, different ways of doing that, but I find that that also just relaxes my body. And if I feel that I'm more in flow and more present, um, I'm, I tend to be better athletically overall. Mm. Um, Isn't it so better. much in the mind, right? It is. Yeah. So, so I'm running on average, I'm running it probably about five times a week yoga every morning. And then I do, do three sessions of strength work, uh, which is usually a combination of body weight. I don't do any heavy lifting anymore. Um, I do a lot of body weight stuff, chin ups, push ups, and some more clever, interesting things. And then I've got a Peloton bike as well, which I use, um, which I love. So I, I find that the habits of highly successful people generally involves a combination of what you're talking about, exercise, meditation, thoughtfulness, mindfulness. How about the food? I'm kind of curious, you know, just, well, of course I'm curious about your eating <laughs> habits because, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the world that um, I live in. And... You know, generally speaking, I find that when people get to a certain level of success in their lives, there's, this is an important part of the formula. So I'm curious, what are your habits and do you follow a certain diet? Sure. Yeah. I just, I just eat McDonald's. <laughs> just McDonald's straight up every day. Every day. That's it. Breakfast, lunch. No. Um, you know what? I, I find the whole nutrition thing um, fascinating. It's like, it's like a thing that I'm, I'm just curious about in general. So I've, I play around a lot and I find what I find funny about the whole nutrition game is that everyone's got their kind of things and what works for one person is not necessarily, you know, works for someone else. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I find that quite, cause you, people get in their tribes, don't they? And they kind of don't say, this they. is, you know, vegans, this or that's that. So I've tried everything. Yeah. Now what I tend to, what, what works for me really well is a combination of sort of a paleo type of keto type of mix. So I don't, I don't have any real dairy. Um, which I know is, is kind of, it just doesn't work very well for me. Cutting out dairy and having um, sort of things like almond or coconut milk and things in, in coffee, because I still have coffee in the morning, that, that works well for me. It's ch massively changed how um, inflammation happens in my body, particularly around running. Mm. And I know it's a big change. And then I have mainly protein in terms of meats, not too much red meat, mainly chicken, fish, and a lot of salad. And I'm not really good on heavy carbs. I can have rice. But if I have lots of bread, I just slow right down and yeah. I feel like I need to sleep. Yeah. Um, so that tends to be, and then I drink three, three liters of water every day. Um, still drink alcohol, but tends to be mainly red wine when I feel like it um, because I quite like relaxing with that. But everything else is pretty tight. 
and it kind of fits that formula and it's very, very habitual and very routine led. Have you ever wondered, is rinsing my produce with the water that comes out of the sink that I don't even drink enough to really clean it? Well, then you're one of the smartest people I know because you're absolutely right. It's not enough. That's why we created the only all-natural and patented line of food wash and wipes, and it's called Eat Cleaner. It's tasteless, odorless, and lab-tested, and it removes up to 99.9% of the residue that water can't, including pesticides, wax, soil, and junk that can carry bacteria that can really make you sick. Plus, we formulated it to help extend the shelf life of your fresh produce too, and that'll save you money. When your berries are lasting up to 10, 12 days, you know that's a good thing. It helps your produce last up to five times longer using a natural blend of fruit acids and antioxidants. So there's no chemicals, it's just clean eating fun. And this can help save your family an average of over $500 per year. Make it easy on yourself, reduce waste, and get that fruit and veggies into your body where it's gonna do you a lot of good and not in the trash. Check us out eatcleaner.com or head to our Amazon store at amazon.com forward slash eatcleaner. Do you eat in a way where you're, because with running, it's just, it's interesting because you need that energy, but it's hard to sit down and have a big meal. Do you find yourself like staging your meals into smaller meals or are you, I sit down and eat three meals a day kind of guy? I eat when I feel like I should eat. <clears throat> so um, I don't have it too, when I say it's habitual and it's, and, it's, and it's routine, it's not that it's like I have breakfast at this time, lunch at that time. I, I try and do a bit of intermittent fasting as well. I don't do that every day, but I might do it two, two to three days a week, I will do that. So that then changes the timing. And sometimes I'm working late. Sometimes I usually try and get up pretty early, but my days are not, again, always the same. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's, it's kind of being, being present and being very intuitive about my energy. And if, if you ask me what's the most important thing, is it losing weight, having a six pack, you know, whatever it's, it's having the energy to get through everything that I want to get through and achieve. Yeah. So that's my one measurement, my one thing that dictates everything. Yeah. It's interesting. My uh, book that I wrote last year that came out, it's called eat like you give a fork, but it's the, I real, saw that. <laughs> it's the real dish on eating to thrive. And I think that that is the key. The key is finding what works for you. And um, I talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting and how it can be so helpful. Um, and also I just recently found out about a company called my gene food and they are doing an analysis of your saliva to indicate what the best um, eating protocols should be. And they identify different enzymes that you may be deficient in or um, just, it's fascinating. I got this like 20 page report. And what was so interesting to me is that my ideal diet was all about where I'm from. I'm from the Mediterranean, classic Mediterranean diet. And it's very similar to what you just described. What is, do you know what your family's, where your family initially came from? 
just no, curious. The, the problem from the problem being Australian is you're a bit of a mongrel, like you're a bit <laughs> like a dog that no one knows kind of where it's come from, right? Because, you know, it's sort of a convict place and all that. Um, I do know that on my mother's side that my, my grandparents and their sort of descendants came from England, came from the south of England. And then my dad was born in Scotland. So I'm actually half Scottish. But then my skin tone, and particularly if I go out in the sun, I, I tan really well. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, and so some people say there's definitely some Mediterranean in there as well. So that's yeah. where I think there's a connection. Yeah. But, but the one thing I will share with you is I, I've had three surgeries on my right knee, uh, three arthroscopies. One was from a skydiving accident. The rest is probably from just too much running. But then I had stem cells put in there about three years ago, and it's been like life-changing. And what I find is everything's really about inflammation. So I can feel if my body feels inflamed. So I try and keep it alkaline as much as I can and, and very conscious mm-hmm. of anything that's, that's increasing that ability for me to be inflamed. Because that's when I start to feel arthritic in my knees or my back hurts. And if I can eliminate that and, and keep the hydration up, that's when I feel the most energy and also I can do the things I want to do. So I, I see a theme here. I see that you are a very intuitive person. I think that you figure things out because you listen and then you take the information and you then put it into practice. Mm -hmm. What what do you think is something that a listener could do to action just taking that first initial step? Because I, I think that is a gift and I don't think that comes easily to everybody. I think sometimes it's very overwhelming to find information. I mean, certainly we are advocates of what we know works but sometimes you have to go out there and experience it yourself. What is step one for someone listening that wants to find a path of health and vibrancy that would work for them? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really big question. Because um, I could break it's it down. It's just one this. step though. <laughs> no, I know. But you know, it's yeah. like, I'm a big believer in experimentation. I, I really am. Um, mm. And and, I, and you, you called it really well. I'm very intuitive. I'm intuitive with people. I'm intuitive with myself. I can, I can feel things. I'm very kind of kinesthetic. That's just kind of, again, a gift that I have. So what I, what I tend to sort of say to people when, in, in different ways is you've got to trust that feeling. We all have a degree of that, right? We all have a degree of intuition. And sometimes people, we close it off. And so what I often say to people is you've got to trust what you're feeling. So back to your point around, you know, am I vegan? Am I this? Or what should I do? My, my first thing is firstly, trust yourself to go somewhere that it feels right as the first starting point and then experiment and see how you feel. And then what I did, and this is, this is the kind of thing, I went and tried quite a few different things before I came back to what I do now. But the first thing that I tried is the thing I came back to, which and is what, interesting. What was that? This more kind of like, as I said, my diet, my nutrition, oh, this okay. idea of yeah. on that side of things. So mm-hmm. I, I went and tried you know, the whole vegan thing for a while. I tried different, I experimented to see what was going on, but I came back to something which felt like it was right for me. Mm-hmm. But the second answer to your question, the reason I don't need, I suppose, the motivation now is because I have leverage and the leverage comes from what happened in the past. And I appreciate lots of people don't have that experience and that's potentially good. You know, I, I, I see it as a, as a great thing that happened to me, but I can see why people would also see it as, as challenging. You've got to find leverage. You've got to find a reason why. And if that doesn't come, I, I'll be really direct about it. I don't think it's, it is possible for people to sustain something. Mm. So when you say it's, it's finding your why, and I, I wrote a lot about that in my book too. You know, the first section is really about what, what do you want in life and what are you doing it for? 
Um, I think we often get on a bandwagon and sometimes we turn around, we go, why did I do this? Um, and, and being a little bit more understanding of what you need, because we are all so unique. I think that for guys, it can be hard to be vulnerable. I think it can be hard to not feel like you have it all together. What would, what would a piece of advice be that you would give to the guys listening out there who just want to be strong either for their families or themselves, but just feel like it's, it's tough. They've had maybe more knockdowns than they have. (laughs) I I think it's, this is going to hopefully resonate with a few of your listeners. I think vulnerability is the ultimate strength. And if you want to get a real, if you want that sort of to be sort of smashed into your face, go and read David Goggin's book, which is called Can't Hurt Me. Hmm. And um, he, he comes from really, I mean, I'm not sure if you've read it, Maria, but um, he's a Navy SEAL who does all sorts of crazy stuff, but his background, his backstory, his life is just so challenged. I'm writing it down because I want to yeah. download it. It's my book of the year last year. Um, hmm. Now, partly because he, he does incredible things with his body and has changed, transformed himself to a way that's just remarkable because it's just so big. But what I love about how, what he talks about is he's like, get over yourself, you know, trying to be the macho guy is kind of, that's not what works. And if you want to be really strong, it's, I always think strength in, in anything, but particularly when you've got the masculinity side is what happens when things are really bad. What happens when, you know, you know, God forbid your wife gets cancer or you lose a child. That's where strength really comes in. Mm. And, and my advice is that, you know, you've got to connect with that vulnerability because if you can and you feel more comfortable about who you are, then a lot of the stuff that you're holding drops away. And that's when you can start to achieve big things, achieve big goals, you know, do things that are kind of extraordinary. I love that. I really love that. And you can't see it right now, but my workout top says strength. And it's Ah. just a reminder to me (laughs) that strength comes from the inside. So I always, we're kind of coming to the end of our time and I always ask this question. So I'm going to ask it to you. So if you had one meal that you could eat over and over again, because it's your favorite meal prepared by somebody in particular, what would the meal be and who would make it? That's a great, my favorite food, my favorite food is Thai food. Mm. I just love the, the freshness of it and the cleanliness of it. Whether I could eat it every day, because <laughs> the hard part of your question is like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to answer it as my favorite food if that's okay. Cause it otherwise it doesn't have to be every day. It can be a special, special. I meal. love, I love Thai green curry. You know, I love it with chicken. I love it with tofu. I like it with just aubergine. I just love the mix of the flavors. It's exotic. It takes me to the times I've spent in Thailand on the beach there. It, it does so many sort of visceral things. Mm emotional right. yeah yeah and who would prepare it okay so i about three four years ago we took a month off and we we went down to um, a couple of the islands in thailand a place called Kojum, which is where it was really badly hit by the tsunami of mm. i think 20 years ago now but if you still go there it looks like the tsunami wasn't that long ago and we rented a villa and the villa was looked after by this lady very old thai lady and she cooked for us every night and you could choose whatever thai food you wanted and it was on a beach and you would just oh, buy yourself fantastic oh it's amazing <laughs> i should put some photos up of this place and um and so she cooked i asked her to cook thai chicken curry mm. and she did and it was magical because it mm. was authentic there was a lot of you know it was all of her passion from living there for years and uh, partly i think it was the environment 
you know, was it the best one I ever had? Don't know, really, but it was damn good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? So, I can feel it right now. I like literally feel it uh, throughout my body. And, and food is our memory. It's our connection. Yeah. It's what makes us feel good. It's what brings us closer together. And you kind of, you, you touched on all of those feels. But, so that's what I think it is. And that's why like, you know, I could have said, you know, fresh tomatoes on toast or, you know, <laughs> whatever else, or a nice granola breakfast. But the point is I don't, I've had some great experiences with food anyway. I love food and I love going to great restaurants. So, you know, back to the tightness of diet, I also like to enjoy stuff. Of course but, we have to but it's with the people you love. It's with the environments that are changing the experiences around that. And food just becomes a really key part of that for me. Yeah. Nick, it's been such a pleasure. I know we could talk for hours and hours because you have such a rich background and so many great insights, but I really, really appreciate you sharing your knowledge, your wisdom and your intuition with all of (laughs) us. Hopefully we can take some of these tidbits and put them into action. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope it does help a lot of people. As I said, it's a big part of my identity these days and um, it does help me do so many different other things. That's why I'm so passionate about it. So thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. By the way, where can people find you? And we'll put it in the show notes too. Yeah, you know, the, the, there's a couple of places to sort of reach out to me. As I said, most of my stuff is, my, my whole thing is in business and, and I've got a few different communities. So first thing is come to my community on Facebook, which is called Scale Up Your Business. Um, I also have a podcast of the same name. So if people are listening to this and they've got a business and they, I do talk about energy in this because I think it's important to be able to have that in the context of your career. So that's it. But also LinkedIn, look up uh, Nick Bradley at LinkedIn. You'll, you'll find my face there. I tend to be on that all the time and people can message me and I get back to people as quickly as I possibly can. Awesome. Thank you again, Nick. No, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I know you have a lot of choices out there of what to listen to, what to watch. So it means a lot to me that you're here with me. And hey, if you love this content, Would you hit the subscribe button? I want you around. I don't want you to just show up for one episode and leave. I want you here, part of the conversation, a seat at this table. And while you're at it, would you share this with your friends and family? And if you take a screenshot and share it on your social media with a hashtag RFYBL for recipes for your best life, I'll make sure to personally give you a shout out and you may just be featured right here on the show. So until next time, here's to living deliciously and being the chef of your best life.